This is episode 314 of the 200 Churches Podcast. Don't be afraid to go out of the box to uh, reach out to the younger generation and just hang out or try to disciple. I think there's this desire to like, oh, we got to be cool. We got to do the things they do. They're all on social media, so we got to do, you know, whatever it is to relate. You don't have to do that. What everybody wants, I think is universal, is just to be known and be loved and be cared about. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. We're passionate about providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. We release a brand new episode every Wednesday to do just that for you, all of our small church pastor friends. Now here are two guys who are definitely better together, friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I'm here in my mobile studio talking to my good friend <laughs> and podcast partner for life, Johnny Craig. Oh, wow. Did you, did you know that? I, I did not know that. Yes, we're, we're podcast my life, that is. You fired me last night, so I'm glad to know that I climbed back in. I did. I did fire you, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) You're rehired. (laughs) You're valid. We were supposed to record yesterday, and I stiffed you. I stood you up, and so I thought maybe the firing would be real this time, but... What, you rehired me again. You're trying. Wait a minute. You're trying to get fired. No, I'm not trying to get fired. <laughs> uh, well, oh thankfully, thankfully, our guest hit it out of the park. He exceeded my expectations. That's awesome. 24 years old, mm. and the stuff that comes out that. of this guy's mouth. Yeah, right. Remember that when you're 24? Dude, I do remember that. Yes. <laughs> you. Hey. Hey, let me give you a compliment. We started when you were 26. We started the podcast. You were 26. Yes. yes. If if we'd have been in the same church, we could have started when you were 24. You'd have been you'd have been ready for it. That's a kind thing to say. Thank you. With me at your side. I would have been just as <laughs> stupid at 24 as I was at 26. Is that what you're saying? I hadn't improved in 2 years. Oh, well, hey, Derek Ambrosen is a youth pastor in the Twin Cities. He's bivocational, 24 years old, expecting, yeah. hey, the week of the release of this episode, he's expecting their first child, a little girl. Oh, so, wow. Congratulations. So that's pretty special. It's like That's way awesome. Very, very similar to me and my wife when we had our daughter. It was the first grandchild for both sets of parents. That's the same is true for him. That's going to be a spoiled little girl. Good for the, her. Hey, she's the princess. Amen. She Amen. is the she princess. Is. It's awesome. That's awesome. Not even, as we're recording, not born yet that I know of. But okay. coming soon. Coming, coming soon very soon. to a theater near you. No, to a grandparent near me, actually. Baby Ambrosin. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, very exciting. So, Johnny, we talked about uh, uh, relationships between a younger pastor and an older pastor. You think I had anything in mind while we were talking about that? (laughs) Did you have any experience that spoke into that conversation, Jeff? You know, it sounds like their relationship is a little different, but I think equally as as powerful and close. I really, I'm really happy for him because so many young guys get coming into a church. So he knew the pastor for several years before he came on staff. Right, which is yep. what something we have in common, uh, yep. but but really good relationship. They do stuff outside of church, uh, you know. They're involved in, in things together, and yeah, it sounds great. So, the only way this episode could have been better, and I told Derek this, is if you'd have been on the podcast episode. I know. I am sorry. A no, no, no. You're not supposed to say up. I know. 
No, I didn't say I know. I said I'm sorry. No, you said I know first. Oh, I mean, uh, no, that can't be. What value do I add? I am a worm. Oh, man. Let's get right to it. My conversation with Derek. Derek, it's good to have you on the 200 Churches podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Derek, tell us about yourself. Where are you at? What's your position at your church and what you do there? Maybe a little bit about your family. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Derek Ambroson. I live in Roseville, Minnesota and attend Roseville Baptist Church. I'm the youth pastor there. I guess my title is technically student pastor, uh, but I, I work mainly with the youth now and have been doing that for about two years since, or actually over two years now, since September 2016. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast. Yes. And how about your family? Yeah. So my uh, my parents, uh, Larry and Diana, actually live in Newton, Iowa at the at, and they go to the church that you uh, pastor now, and I grew up there, and then came up to Minnesota for school at University of Northwestern, St. Paul, although it was Northwestern College at the time I came up, so I guess I've been mm-hmm. to two different names. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I got three sisters and then a lovely wife, Alexis, and we have our daughter due this coming Friday. So maybe by the time people listen to this, we will have a child. Very nice. And and for the record, I didn't know you while you were at this church, did I? Nope, you did not. I was already no. up, up in the north by that point. I'm a latecomer. Yes. Yep. So so tell me this. I'm, I was wondering about this. Your your parents are healthcare professionals, mm-hmm. and somehow you made it into ministry. How, how did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, just growing up, my parents own their own pharmacy, and uh, it you know I, I got to see a lot of what that was like. And my sisters are actually sort of following in that. My oldest sister has been a pharmacy tech for a while. Uh, my middle sister does that some and is going into nursing. I kind of skipped, I guess, in there. And I think it was just you know my parents told me you know they love their job, but owning a business is a lot of work and. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't totally recommend it sometimes. I remember them saying that when I was young anyways. Who knows if they still feel that way. But uh, yeah, it just, it was never anything that appealed to me. I I always wanted to do uh, sports or sports management or talent talent evaluation for football. And then God had different plans. At what point did you realize you needed to go into ministry? God was calling you into ministry. Yeah, it's it's kind of a long story, but um, in in high school, I went to Pella Christian High School, at least um, after I transferred from Newton. And our Bible teacher there, Nate Van Wyke, I thought he just had the sweetest gig. You know, he got to teach us all about theology. He was a softball coach, had a family, and I thought, man, that would be awesome to do that, although I would have chosen football over softball. But <laughs> I, I, I thought, you know, I, as I'm looking at colleges, uh, I looked at Northwestern, and they had a, a five-year program that got an accelerated master's. And I thought, well, I don't think I want to be a pastor, really, even though I was a pastoral ministry major, but figured I could teach in a private school with that, so I would go that route. So started there, um, and then when I got to my junior year, I had this uh, total freak-out moment, questioning every decision in my life sort of time. Hmm. I switched to a, a physical education major. I thought, man, I want to do coaching more. I, I just I loved, loved football, loved the idea of sports and, and building men through sports. It really, what it what it came down to is I've been a believer for a while, but I didn't uh, I wasn't strong in daily devotion and prayer and reading the Bible just for the sake of communion with God. I read it more as a checklist item mm-hmm. if I if I even read at all. Yeah. Um. Because I was prideful. I, I thought I knew enough. 
as, as well, you went to a did. Christian school. Yeah, so yeah. So you're it covered. Was, yeah, it was it was just built in. Who needs to go to church or anything <laughs> when you got a Christian school, right? Well, that's that's, that's what right. I thought at first, and um, thankfully I'm not in that boat anymore. But it it came from a couple guys. My head pastor uh, Jackie Hill, he, and then actually one of his mentors, uh, John Nix, who um, travels around the country, poured a lot into me and kind of metaphorically slapped me. I don't think they physically did it all, but metaphorically slapped me into really evaluating what what it was God was calling me to. And I think I had some bad experiences in youth ministry when I was an intern just with uh, this one student that, uh, man, if you could check off the list of all the problems that a kid can have, uh, Hmm. mental issues, uh, issues at home and all of that, he had about all of them and he just leached onto me. And I'm very much a, a fixer. I look at people and see a project sometimes, which I'm mm. trying to work on because that's not how I want to view people. But I viewed this kid that way, and I, well, I was trying to fix him. But the reality that I realized later is he never really wanted to be fixed. He just wanted all my attention. And that was so draining. So I'm like, man, if this is what youth ministry is, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. But then I I just felt that as I actually started, again, like I was saying, digging into the Word and communing with God and I had that, um, the, the Psalm 37, four, um, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That verse stuck out to me. Cause I felt like now at this point, as I was starting to delight myself more in him, trust more in him, uh, because I loved him, not because I was supposed to, uh, then he started to change my heart. And at that point, my head pastor tried to talk me out of youth ministry. Cause he, he kind of said, if I can talk you out of it, then it's probably not for you. And, uh, <laughs> and he couldn't. So then that was when I was like, all right, um, I won't make as much money as I could in sports, but uh, hey, this is this is what God wants for me, and I've loved it since. So you you have two jobs. Correct. You're at the church, and you're also at a school. Tell us about the school job. Yeah, so just this year, um, I started as a paraprofessional working with um, emotional behavior disorder kids at Willow Lane Elementary School in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, which isn't too far from my house. Uh, it's just an elementary school, K through five. I kind of thought when I was looking at jobs, cause I worked security at a hospital for an hour, or for a year and a half before this. And, uh, it had its perks, but it wasn't for me. I figured, man, I, I love working with kids. I love shaping kids. So working in a school would be great. Plus, you know, for youth ministry, kids are in school at the same time as me. So there's no conflict there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I started that in the fall and it, it has its days. In fact, these last uh, couple weeks have been tough, but, uh, for the most part, I love hanging out with the kids. Um, seeing these kids come from so much more broken homes than I came from that, you know, like they, they haven't been given much of a chance at, at doing anything in life because of money situations, because of poor parenting or lack of any parents at all. And so I, I've really enjoyed just getting to love on these kids and and help teach them different things uh, because other people aren't. So I I think it really goes well with my youth ministry. Yeah. Now, is that a, did you say that's a full-time job versus like 30 or 35 hours a week? Yeah. It's like 32 and a half hours a week, technically six and a half hour days. You're not hanging around the church office all day and you're not hanging out with students all day. Do you get time with students after school or is that generally reserved for uh, you know, youth group night, Sunday school, or weekends. Yeah, you actually hit it. I, I don't spend any time in my office right now. We're going through church renovations, and my office is my office is being used as a tool room. Uh, so don't Perfect. spend a lot of time there. But hey, it's serving <laughs> a better purpose right now. Uh, but no, for after school stuff, what actually a lot of my time is spent is just discipleship meetings with um, some of the young adults and college students. I've had uh, I think it's about five guys a week 
that I meet with um, for discipleship purposes, and then I meet with my head pastor for discipleship from him. And uh, those guys, it's been great because one of them is just a, a big help in the youth ministry. He assists me on all the trips and in each you know weekly activity. So pouring into him helps the youth ministry. And then a few other guys who are just coming up through the college ministry, uh, I've been able to uh, disciple, go through different books about manhood, um, read devotional plans together, all these kind of things. And I really enjoy doing that. So that's more of that full student ministry, not just youth. But then when it comes to the youth, mainly the interactions are, at least during the school year anyways, just during uh, youth group Wednesday nights and then Sunday mornings for Sunday school. And then we'll have the occasional trip uh, that will go on over weekends. Uh, but that's that's kind of how it is, because honestly, trying to even find time to spend with the kids outside of that is tough because they're also busy with sports and theater and music and, and the like. Yeah, and you said you've been there for how long now at that church with these kids? So I started in September 2016, but I've been at the church since January of 2013, right when I went to college. Okay, so you've had somewhat of a relationship oh, yeah. with these kids for quite a while. Mm-hmm. They, they view you as their youth pastor, even though you're part-time. Yep. Yeah. Have you taken them on any missions trips? Yeah, every every year, every summer, actually, we come down to Lamoni, Iowa, if you're familiar with Lamoni at all. I'm not, I'm okay. not. Yeah, Lamona <laughs> is uh, yeah. It's very southwest. It's like five miles from the border of Missouri. It's at least from the numbers that I know, it's like the poorest county in, or the poorest city in the poorest county in Iowa, hmm. and a strong Mormon influence. Uh, we go down there because uh, my head pastor's wife actually is from there, and then my head pastor was a youth pastor down there for a few years after college. Uh, so we have a connection with them, and we get a stay at uh, her parents' house. So, uh, yeah, it's down there. Really, a lot of it is more um, relationship, team building, having a lot of fun, and then moderately assisting some of the adults with different construction uh, things that they do. But that's our big mission trip over the summer. But we've gone, we go on a ski trip every year. We go to Trout Lake Camp, uh, have the lock-ins, do all that kind of stuff as well. So on that trip, what kind of relationships have you found that you've been able to build with your students? You know, you only see them... You only see them once or twice a week, but when you go there, you're there for, what, a week? Yeah, we, we leave on the Saturday, and actually, we we got it designed pretty pretty well that um, I feel really blessed we can do this, and big shout out to my parents, but at the end of that Lamoni trip, so the following Friday, we uh, we head east over to um, our family's lake house that we've had my grandparents bought years ago in okay. northern Missouri, and we just boat and tube and do all that stuff, so they get kind of a a fun lake weekend at the end, which is a blast. How many have you been able to take down at once? Um, last year, I believe we had, um, may have been 14 or 15. Oh, that's a good number. Yeah, yeah, filled up a van plus a, a few extra. It's been a while since I've been in youth ministry, but my memory is that when we would go on, on service trips or missions trips, even if it was just for a weekend, but for sure a week or two, you really build those connections mm-hmm. with those students at that time. I mean, have you found that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I actually tell the kids these kind of trips that we go on are like the most crucial part of a lot of the ministry because, I mean, the teaching, I, I like to focus a lot on teaching during the week and, and such. But as far as from a kid's perspective, I mean, they're in school all week with people they know, and then they show up once, maybe twice a week for about an hour or two, and then a lot of that's spent teaching or in worship. So the relationship building isn't really there unless they try really hard to get it. But when you go on these trips, like to Lamoni, for a week, 
and we're stuck in a bus together for about, it's like a five, five hour drive from here, five and a half. And then we do all sorts of stuff there, go swimming at lakes. Uh, we, we actually put on a vacation Bible school for the church down there, the Baptist oh, church yeah. there. And that's, nice. that's kind of the mission work that we do. So the kids get a chance to lead. They get a chance to lead together uh, with one another and just do a bunch of fun stuff. And I, the, a lot of the youth leaders are around my age, about the 23 to 25 range. So we just love messing with the kids, making fun of them. They make fun of us. It's, it, it's a blast. And that's what I think uh, really keeps a lot of the kids around. I just actually just today had a girl uh, call me and ask what the dates were for Lamoni because they're going on a family vacation and she wanted to make hmm. sure to schedule her on that because that's her favorite thing of the whole year. Yeah, the kids, kids make it a blast. How many years have you gone down there? This will be year number four for me, but only year three as leading the youth. When I went the first year, we didn't bring a youth group down because I wasn't uh, the pastor yet. Okay, okay. So are there are there a few kids that have gone every year you've gone? Yes. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's cool. And that's, you, boy, you really build relationships with them. Hey, I want to go back to what you were talking about. You do some discipling of guys. Mm-hmm. When does that happen again? Normally Monday nights I will meet uh, with an, an older, not an older guy, but older than me, about 10 years older than me in the church, yep. uh, and we'll meet together just for accountability and such. And then Monday nights after that I meet with my um, right-hand man in youth ministry, Trey. And then Tuesdays I meet with uh, another guy who's just recently graduated from college who's been doing a little bit more with the youth. Then Thursdays, I meet with another fellow pastor, one of my best friends who uh, leads the college ministry right now. And then we meet together with college students um, for dinner at Northwestern on that night. And then uh, Thursday night after dinner, I meet with another friend of mine who I've been discipling for a while, who actually uh, went to Community Heights as well. His family still goes there, Jordan Rossler. You know, oh, yeah. Steve and Joanne. Yep. So, yep, yep. I, uh, he does our finances at our church now. But, um, okay. yeah, so I've, I've met with those guys for a while and then other guys here and there that uh, come around for a bit and such. Okay. Now, if Johnny were on the call right now, mm-hmm. he would ask you about family. Yes. And he would say, how many nights are you out a week? <laughs> so come clean now. Yep. No, that, that's a good question. Uh, so <laughs> the, the way I try to structure it, just because uh, when, when I used to work, Overnight security, I obviously had days open, so when people weren't in classes, it was easy to meet. Right. Um, but I, I try to pack all of my stuff into Monday through Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, I leave wide open. I mean, obviously, Sunday, we, we have church and teaching there, but um, those three nights of the week uh, are, are totally open. And with the way that my wife's work schedule is right now, she works actually in, she's a death investigator in Hennepin and Anoka County. Um, so she does all the weird stuff, but, uh, she works <laughs> five, she'll work five nights on Thursday through Monday, then nine days off. So okay. we, yeah, we get plenty of time to work in there gotcha. too. Cause I know that's, I, I, I'm with you and Johnny on that. I don't want to cut the family out now, obviously with the new baby coming too, a lot of that's going to change. Um, yep. so yep, it is now. Now, what kind of an investigator did you say she was? I want to make sure I heard you right. Yeah, death investigator. So she investigates death. You got it. Or deaths, plural. Yep. So she'll go out on um, different scenes when people call in and report a a death, and she'll go out and um, figure out what happened. It's like the CSI stuff without all the drama. 
<laughs> on TV. In the TV cameras, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had a friend one time who was a investigator for the county coroner's office. Okay, yep. I don't know if that's the same. Yeah, th- yep, that's what she does. Okay, similar thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. But he was a former state trooper, and he was like 55 years old. Yeah. Your your wife's not a former state trooper. No, and she's not 55 years old either. <laughs> <laughs> but she's schooled in it, so, yeah, yeah, so I'm she sure she went, does a great job. She went job. to Northwestern for biology and then uh, got a forensic internship in school. And okay. then just, you know, things lined up the right way, and she applied at the right time and got a shot at it. Took her a little bit to come around to it because there's some things you see, obviously, that uh, yeah, you know, people shouldn't you really see too much right, of. Right, right. Well, you got a really interesting setup as a family. You mm-hmm. know that. I mean, you in ministry in the public school, uh, in that side of you know investigating what goes on in the community, and uh, also you know in the church. And now you're about to have a little girl. Mm-hmm. Life is uh, pretty interesting. So I want to ask you now. The, one of the reasons that we have you on is is not just because I I you you've attended my church. Yeah. Or I'm or I'm attending your church. Let's put it the way it should be. It should go. I'm attending your old church. That's <laughs> yeah. how it is. But I ran into you one morning coming out of the out of the service. You were there visiting your folks. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, I, I can't even picture your face right now, Derek. When I hear <laughs> your voice, I just see your dad's face because you hey, sound like right. your dad. But uh, I, I remember in just the brief conversation we had, I thought, man, you would be a great guest on our podcast because you're in a small church. You said your church is around 100. Yep. You're bivocational. We've got a lot of bivocational pastors who listen. I like the fact that you're a millennial. So how old are you? 20 what? I'm 24. Okay, 24. So you're on you're on the young side yep. of the millennials. And I'm wondering, what is it that you let me let me figure out how to ask this cuz I don't want to throw you in the tank yeah, okay. on, on your senior pastor. Uh, well, let me ask you this way. What does your senior pastor do? What kind of a relationship do you have that is helpful to you? What are the good things about him where you enjoy serving in your church? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, he's a big reason, actually, that I uh, stuck with Roosevelt Baptist uh, through the years because I, I had to have an internship for church. And honestly, Roosevelt Baptist... Uh, the only reason I knew about them is because he was our chaplain for our football team. I played football at Northwestern for a few years. Okay, okay. So they came and hosted us. They brought us over for pancake breakfast and spaghetti dinners different times. So I was like, well, this is a church I know. And I tried yep. applying at a mega church, but uh, they were going to make me pay about two grand to intern. And I don't have that. So I moved on mm. from that one. As I stuck around there, he just was very intentional with the discipleship aspect. He wasn't trying to throw me, throw me to the wolves or see what this guy can do. Uh, not right away anyways, he did that later, but, um, (laughs) right away it was really just started out. We would meet on Thursday nights and he would, um, invite me to Buffalo Wild Wings. He'd pay for it. Uh, take me to play basketball with some guys at a church he knew. And so much of it was just relationship building and just, I think it was very intentional discipleship, but a lot of, a lot of subtlety with it. I didn't even realize it. It would be, you know, he'd ask me different Mm -hmm. questions or I would complain about something and he would, he, he knew how to turn it in, in a way that was biblical, um, to, to attack it from a biblical point of view, not just, uh, uh, emotional point of view that I wanted to at the time. So I think just over the course of, I mean, before I was even on staff, he was discipling me for four and a half years, meeting basically weekly. And I just saw his, uh, love for people. He's a full-time pastor, but, uh, doesn't 
really get paid like it, but it's by his choice um, because he wanted to have other pastors on staff to make money so that they could work and, and do other things. And so I just see a lot of very strong biblical qualities from him as a leader, and he's a guy I aspire to be like. And he's only about 14 years older than I am, but came from you know a lot of his early experiences in ministry were very relatable. And now uh, we just do a lot of stuff together. Uh, my wife and his wife are really good friends. We love their kids. Yeah, it's, it's so much of I just I really agree with a lot of the ways that he runs leads the church, not runs the church, but leads the church. And I think whenever we make decisions, so much of it is always pointing to scripture and using it that way and letting that be the fallback uh, rather than uh, justifying ways out of scripture to make other decisions that he wants to or something like that. And it's something that uh, is encouraging to me because I know he has an, an older man at our church who was actually a volunteer pastor, head pastor at Roseville Baptist for 10 years before Jackie took over. And hmm. he's been you know, discipling him for years. So I know that the, that train of discipleship and pouring in and accountability uh, is coming. So now, of course, we all have the, the temptation to be power hungry and not be accountable to others. But I, I feel like he set himself up in a position to not get that way. And uh, that encourages me in that same way. So yeah, I, I love the man. We have a, a great personal and professional and ministerial relationship. Man, that's best case scenario uh-huh, right absolutely. there. That really is. And especially when you can work with somebody like he did with you yep. before you come on staff, then you've got that you've got that built in relationship that mm-hmm. makes it that the chances of success and effectiveness and fruitfulness are so much greater. Yeah. That's absolutely. awesome. So as a twenty four year old guy in ministry now for a couple of years, where where do you see ministry going in in our culture, right? In the United States? What are some what are some things that you're excited about? And then what are some things that as you look at the church, you say, Man, that is really concerning to me. I hope that my generation can move that area in a different direction. Oh man, that's a that's a good question. Um I mean, it's hard without all the numbers, but I think that the spread of the gospel is going at a better rate than a lot of people think. I think the the stuff that gets in the news, you see all these scandals um, from different pastors, which obviously are, are wrong and inexcusable, but those are the things that um, push to the front page. And I think it's easy to look at those kind of things and be like, man, the gospel is not doing a whole lot of good right now. But mm. I think there, there's a lot of, lot of gospel spreading going on, a lot of great influence. It's just we don't see it on the on the mass media scale, you know, the future of ministry, I think, obviously, I mean, we're on the small church podcast. I I love um, the small church model and just the, the way that we're trying to do it is, is just invite people in. We're really focused right now on this being a a connecting church, connecting people to God, God's people and God's purpose is our, Mm -hmm. our tagline. And we're really focusing on the connecting people to God's people point because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of times where churches can be very welcoming at first, but then as far as pushing further on in that relationship, uh, it's not really there. Or maybe it is if they tithe enough or something, but if it's uncomfortable or they're the the people that society views as lesser, they get they get kind of thrown out. So that's a that's a focus right now for us that we're trying to push. And I would love to see uh, ministries of churches uh, continue to or grab that model and say, we're going to love people uh, no matter what. Not uh, not love their sin or endorse their sin or anything like that, um, but love people where they are. Show them the love of Jesus through how we love, because that's how that's how we're seen. That's how we're, Jesus says we'll be, you know, set apart or, or seen differently is by our love. 
and just living it out in that way. And so when it comes to the concerns, um, some of my concerns with the way ministry is going is just um, a lot more of the prosperity gospel pushing is a tough route to go because I think that's just not the the realism of the gospel lived out at all. When you look at the the stories of the apostles and specifically like Paul, there was nothing fabulous about their lives or the way they lived, but they they considered themselves so blessed through all the suffering they went through. And, and to the point where sometimes they were getting punished, they were they were getting persecuted and even laughing because they were so filled with joy. And I think we lose sight of that, and I do too, because we live in a country where, I mean, we get persecuted on social media, and, and maybe there's some laws that make things harder, but compared to other countries and past times, we got it, we got it good. Yeah. And I think yep. uh, sometimes, especially the more I read of guys like Francis Chan and stuff who, who've seen the gospel in other countries and really bring it forth, it's so easy to fall into this comfort stage where we just do things because it's easy or because we have the money and and let's just keep going that way as opposed to this um, constant push for discipleship of young believers and um, evangelism to to the lost, even when it costs us a lot. And I think we just have, many Americans don't have to pay the price for a lot. And obviously, I've only been around 24 years, so I have no idea the history experiencing <laughs> right. or anything. I'm not going right. to be prideful enough to say that, you know, how long I've lived, I, I have it all figured out. I have no idea. But just from other people, I, I feel like that's something we got to be careful of. The, the comfort gospel has become so easy, and I think for everybody, and it is for me too. So when you say the, the comfort gospel, mm-hmm. uh, are you talking about simply being comfortable in our culture and, and just allowing ourselves to just kind of coast and, and drift in our faith and in our uh, in our sense of evangelism, or, or are you saying a gospel that preaches that Jesus wants us comfortable? No, the more of uh, more of the first one. I think just um, okay. Yeah, I, I feel like it because because of how we live and because of the differences from our country to many others, uh, many of which I haven't experienced. Um, I've only been to Israel, which was awesome, but uh, even even over there, some of the persecution um, in cities like Jerusalem, like that. I wonder what the gospel would be like in America if we had to literally choose life or death when we chose to to believe in Jesus, as opposed to just uh, an emotional prayer or time of worship that we give our lives to Jesus. But then, you know, if, if there's not that pushing discipleship to grow more in that, then uh, young believers just kind of fizzle out, or people who've been believers their whole life get comfortable with that instead of pushing. Uh, to know Jesus more and more and to make him known. So Derek, as a young pastor in a church of around 100, are you like, are you like chomping at the bit to see your church grow 500, 1,000 or more? Or, or are you really focused in other areas? Yeah, I, I think it's a natural tendency to want to grow because that's how we measure success a lot is by the numbers. And, and there is some validity to that, of course. Uh, but I think we, we have a model as a church to be a a church planting church where um, we want to, through the, through the model of discipleship, like we believe Jesus did with his disciples um, to be able to send people out to do that. So as, as we grow and get that um, critical mass you need, and as people are disciple, we believe that we'll have people come through that uh, feel called to plant, lead their own and, and pastor their own church um, out of Roseville Baptist and whether they're our name or, or whatever is, is irrelevant, but that we don't want to get too big because we think that at least with the the model we have, it's it's hard to hold a lot of the personal relationships. 
Um, cause how yeah. we have it, I mean, I know about everybody at church and I love that it, it, I, it really feels like a family, you know, when, when we talk about a church family, it's, and this is, this is no offense to community Heights mainly cause I was just younger and honestly didn't understand the point of church. But even though I had a lot of people I loved there, I never felt like a full church family, um, because there were so many, I didn't know. And again, I can blame a lot of that on myself being a, you know, 14 year old who didn't care about other people. Just blame your parents. Uh, yeah, Every other yeah, 14 year old would. Yeah, there we go. I'll blame my parents. <laughs> Call it on them. <laughs> no, I can't do that. Well, but you know, you're bringing up a good point. You know, some people are wired for the small church mm-hmm. and you get them in a, in a room that's too big to know everybody and they're just not comfortable. Yeah. In fact, there's a lot of people that are wired like that, and mm-hmm. it's not just well, it's partly their upbringing, it's also their personality. You know, the, the, there's a lot of different factors, which which is the argument for the small church, the church of twenty or fifty mm-hmm. or a hundred. And the sad thing is, and the one the, one of the things that that Johnny and I and a, and a bunch of other people that have been really trying to cheerlead and champion small church ministry now for years, is the sad thing is that. Pastors of small churches often feel less than, mm. you know, they yeah. feel they feel like they're failures. They feel like they've never reached the pinnacle of the success of their career. When in reality, you know, these small churches are reaching people that churches that are five hundred or a thousand or ten thousand may never reach. Yeah. So some people like the bigger crowd, and a lot of people don't. And mm. what you're describing is uh, is a very important reality that speaks to the fact that it doesn't matter what size the church is. What matters is the health of the church yep. and whether or not that church is, has a relationship with God and is reaching out into its community. Yep. And, and specifically for me with the youth ministry is I know, you know I've never been a youth pastor at a big church who had, you know, hundreds of kids in a youth ministry. I know there's plenty out there. Um, and, and maybe those youth pastors know all of those kids individually. Um, that would be incredible if they did. But I know with with the size of group we had when I when I started, we had like three kids, and two of them were pastors' kids, and one was a deacon's kid. It's grown now, so we have I mean rotating between twenty five to thirty kids, but it's usually about fifteen um, each week, which is um, you know I'm so Manageable. thankful. I'm so thankful for it. Yeah, that uh, yeah. That we've grown to that. I mean, that's all on on the kids, uh, just reaching out and bringing friends and and Jesus moving there. But I always want to be at the size where, especially as a bivocational pastor, I can know all of the kids well and I'll notice when somebody's gone, notice when somebody new is there, and have it more of a small group feel because I want to be a big part of these kids' lives if they want me to be. And I have youth leaders when I was in youth group at Community Heights that I still remember the first time, you know, admitting different sin struggles, the first time trying to ask advice on certain things that, you know, I was scared of, those kind of things. And I I had those men in my life that did that. And I'm so thankful for that, even if I wasn't always at the time. And I and our other leaders want to be able to be that for these kids. And if we get too big, uh, you can kind of run out of that a little bit. Yeah. That's where we're at, so... That's true. That's true. I mean, here we're, we're going to begin to focus on our small group ministry. Mm. And why are we going to do that? Well, because if you're a larger church and you don't have a strong small group ministry, people's relationships start to suffer. They feel like they're floating out there without friends and without connections. Yep. And some of that is happening because small groups has been something that's been around for quite a while here, but it hasn't, it hasn't been tended. It's like that, it's like that uh, flower garden in the corner of your yard that you don't <laughs> yeah. tend to. 
which I have one, and it just gets overgrown and it doesn't look near as good as it used to look. And so basically we have to go in and we have to weed and we have to, you know, maybe till up some soil and replant some stuff. And because in a larger church, you've got to have smaller groups, which is so important. Derek, how about, um, how about if you're thinking about, uh, other, other senior pastors or other solo pastors who are like, say over 40 years old, what do you want to tell them about the generation coming up? Uh, so, you know, sometimes your generation gets a bad rap. You're the me generation. You know, you mm-hmm. think everything is is owed you or just on and on and on, which yeah. truthfully, this has gone on for as long as I can remember. The, the generation who's 40 or 50 or 60 is always describing that upcoming generation in some kind of negative tones. Yeah. I see just a ton of promise and and light coming from twenty somethings personally, but what you know? What do you think? How should fifty plus pastors view the younger generation, and how how should they be interact and interacting with the younger couples in their church? How should they be thinking about maybe if they're going to bring on a part time or even a full time uh, youth pastor or youth intern? What are some things that they should be thinking? Maybe what are some things that they should be doing or providing for, or how should they interact? So I've just thrown a whole lot at you. Just yeah, give me no, some thoughts. That, that's great. I, I love that question because I've you know been in the spot where older guys have chosen to pour into me and look at me differently. And I think first, for my generation of people, there's a lot of just general skepticism for everything. I mean, you can look in the news now and we have all the the flat earth theories and the did we ever go to the moon theories and conspiracies. And there's all this kind of stuff where, especially with all the information we have out now, there's always the the skeptics on everything. And people are more educated in a lot of ways too, because of the, the abundance of, of resources we have. So I think for my generation of people with, with the skepticism that goes, I think that skepticism also comes into just how things in churches are run. Uh, and, and I think I, I don't like to generalize because there's plenty of Gen Xers that are um, very much willing to change and stuff. But there's a lot of things that churches have done in the past that they just did it because the people before them did it, and that's just the right thing. And um, I've been well, that's, thankful. That's every church. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> and I've been so thankful at uh, Roseville Baptist because we were predominantly a uh, older generation church. I mean, like 60s and up for a long time until hmm. probably the early 2000s. And then uh, more college kids started floating in and, and we become younger. But but we're, we're still very intergenerational. And one of the things I'm very thankful for is that we have a lot of the, the older, um, wiser people in our church that were willing to embrace change um, rather than just sticking their heads in the sand and saying, no, it's been this way. You young folks don't know any better. But, yeah. but they've been willing to listen, and I think with that willingness to listen, it makes the younger generation also the same way, as opposed to just being told, like, no, you're wrong, no, you don't know enough, you haven't been around enough. Uh, that That's a pretty big turnoff to people with these new ideas that may or may not be better. So I think being willing to change what you do uh, can help, especially from people who are in that generation, that when, when you think about it, one of the things I love about student ministry in general, whether it's youth or college age, is this is going to be the next generation of the church. These are the people that may in general be more uh, driven to evangelize or go on missions 
do on these things because they don't have the families yet. They don't have the full-time job. They have a lot of flexibility and just the basic roots of the gospel and knowing they want to share it. And so I think being being open to the, the different ideas, um, different mission work, those kind of things is awesome. Um, and even if you disagree at the end of it, it's that whole idea of just letting people get their opinion heard. Even if you disagree, you can get them to buy in. And, and I've seen that a lot. So that that's one thing I would say. And then two, don't be afraid to go out of the box to uh, reach out to the younger generation and just hang out or try to disciple. I think there's this desire to like, oh, we got to be cool. We got to do the things they do. They're all on social media. So we got to do, you know, whatever it is to relate. You don't have to do that. What, what everybody wants, is, I think, is universal, is just to be known and be loved and be cared about. And, you know, going all the way back to with Jackie, who is, again, 15 years older than me, he and I had like nothing in common, hardly at first. He's, he's, he's from Tennessee, more, he's got an Uncle Earl and an Aunt Billy, more of the redneck type, loves hunting and fishing <laughs> and all that stuff. Oh, had a beard since he was 12. Uh, it wasn't since he was 12, but that kind probably of Probably was since yeah, he was 12. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and then there's, there's me who came, you know, from a much different background, more just sports, more of a kind of a preppy guy, I dress nice, all that kind of stuff. And so he, he and I, it, it wasn't the same, but he was willing to look through that stuff and just help me out, do things like, hey, you're a college student who needs food because you got to pay for it yourself. Let me take you out and pay for your food. Oh, you like basketball? Let's go play basketball. Do these kind of things. And yeah, he was a pastor, so he was better at the discipleship part. But I think anybody, ordained or not, um, can pour into the younger generation and just you know have them over to your house or have a young couple over uh, for dinner or for coffee and just relationship build. I think so many people are scared of it, but that's where you bridge the gap from the intergenerational gap that we have. And that that's what I would encourage all... Um, older pastors to do is there's so many young people they just want to dive in and want to be a big part of of leadership of of doing something of changing teams and all you got to do is ask and i think you'll be surprised interesting now before we land this plane i have one question for you you, yep. you ta- you've used the word discipleship a lot about sure. being discipled mm-hmm. how would you define it don't come up with a definition that you think me or anybody else wants yeah. to hear but how do you define discipleship. When you say that you're discipling a younger, like college age guy or an older guy is discipling you, how do you define that? Sure. Um, so the, the way I would start it is just very intentional relationship building. So okay. what I do with these guys, my, my friend Bradley, he went to Northwestern, um, met him. He just showed up one Sunday and came back a couple times and we invited him out to lunch. And then after a while, we got talking. Oh, he was interested in softball, so we got him to come play softball with us, built relationships that way. And then it was, I just decided, hey, man, you want to come out? Let's go eat Chipotle every Tuesday night, 5.30, and let's just talk about life. And he's like, sure, because I'm going to pay for his Chipotle. So we went out, (laughs) ate that every week, and would just talk about life. He'd tell me things are going on. And then just within that, I try to think of what Jesus did when he built disciples, where the name came from, is he just spent a lot of time intentionally with with a lot of people, but specifically those those twelve men. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure I'm sure there was so much time where they were just doing random stuff that wasn't recorded, hopefully having some fun. But he was also very intentional with bringing up um, teaching points and and biblical ways to handle things. So with my times with Bradley specifically, you know, we talk about accountability. Um, mortification of sin. How is that process going? Are you living in sin? Are you fighting it? How's that? 
daily Bible reading. How's that been? We we will do a a reading plan together on the Uversion app, so I can see that he's reading, so he can't just lie to me. I can see what he's commenting, so I know that he's actually processing something, not just reading it again as a checklist. Mm. And then through time, we'll even do things like, hey, uh, Thoughts for Young Men is a great book um, by J.C. Ryle back in the 1800s. Let's let's read through this together, uh, highlight things, and talk about it. And then I think so much of that's just built there where you have this routine for now a younger man who sees an older guy who wants to pour into him, even pay for his meals sometimes, and and push him uh, like Jesus pushed the disciples. And now guys like Bradley leads our media team. He's very involved in a lot of different ministries, just became a member. And it, it wasn't, you know, nothing special I did. It was just trying to do what Jesus did with the disciples. So I, I think that's something that we try to do a lot in our church and what Jackie did with me. And I think, wow, that, that worked pretty well. I should probably try that. And I've had, had success so far. Derek, that was perfect. Pastor, if you're listening to that, uh, men and women out there, you've just been given a great blueprint for beginning a discipleship journey with somebody in your church. So whether it's a younger lady, a younger guy, um, who is that person? Uh, we're, at, we're still at the beginning of a year. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It could be any time in the year that you listen to this. But who who's the person that you just need to need to get yourself around and spend time with and just begin to infuse your life and your love for God and your understanding of his word and how it applies to you into their life. Because, uh, Derek, you use the term discipleship, and sometimes people can get scared away by that. Sure. But I love the fact that you said it all starts with a relationship Mm -hmm. because that is so true. So I have, you know, some articles that you read, they've got these little opportunities for the tweetables. Yeah. You know, where you could just click and tweet. So here's the tweetable from our conversation. You said it about 10 minutes ago. What everyone really wants is to be known and to be loved and be cared about. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. What everyone really wants is to be known and be loved and be cared about. So, Pastor, think about the people in your church. Do you know them? Do you love them? Do you care about them? If you've got a smaller church, boy, you've got one up on larger church pastors because you could actually do that with perhaps almost everyone in your church. And if it's just a little bit bigger, you can just, you know, develop other people to help you do that in your church. Derek, this has been an awesome conversation, and I knew you had something to bring the first time I met you. You have exceeded, you have met and exceeded (laughs) my expectations for this episode, especially when you declared your age of being 24, because you're not supposed to know anything at 24. <laughs> oh, man, I don't, I don't know much. A lot, of, a lot of wisdom passed down by much wiser people. You know what, though? I, I've learned a little bit more about your parents by talking to you, and they've, they've, uh, they were already up way up on the echelon, but they're up even higher <laughs> in, my, in my estimation now. I mean, your, dad, your dad's my drug dealer, right? Yep, he yep, supplies he the meds. Uh-huh. I even met him in a parking lot one time to get to get my stuff. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> because he is a business guy and he's helpful. Wow. Yes. He's so helpful. So, Derek, awesome. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Johnny, it was a pure delight to talk to Derek. Very fun. Very fun. Sounds like a cool guy. I, I am bummed out that I missed that conversation. Uh, when When I hear guys like Derek, I think the future of the church is in good hands. 
It really is. It really is. And as we were talking, of course, I you know I said that to him. I think I'm very comfortable with the future yeah. of the church based on what I see in twenty and thirty somethings today. Forty somethings, ah, eh, the jury's still out on the forty somethings. <laughs> well, that's the oh, past anyway. It's fine. Oh, over fifty, only in as much as we engage the twenty and thirty somethings. Now we've just alienated every. Only you're allowed to say this stuff because you're in your fifties. I never said any of that. I love hey, the forties and fifties. Hey, one of our listeners in Delaware, Hans. Hans is, I think, forty-seven. Okay. So, Hans, all the forty-year-olds except for you, you're not. You're not included in that. You're exempt. You get an exemption. This this is tax time. We're gonna get a flaming hot review on uh, (laughs) on iTunes. I'd like this podcast until they started talking bad about forty year olds. About Gen Xers. And I'll say, hey, Pastor Gary, calm down. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it reminds me of a few weeks ago when you started naming weird names of churches and and (laughs) trendy crunchy names of. Of young senior pastors, don't yeah, Ignite don't do that. Church. Oh no, I won't do that anymore. Okay. You talking about? Are you talking about Braden at Liquid Church? Is that no, what no, you're no. talking about? No, you're talking about Pastor Caden from Caden from Fusion <laughs> Fusion Ministries. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh you're boy. Right. I mean, no Pastor offense Colton. to any of any of you named Caden or Colton or like Rock. It's okay. Brick. Yeah. Almost. So brick. So uh, how about brick leads the men's ministry, right? <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, how about in terms of relationships with senior pastors? You and I had a good relationship. Oh, how yeah, are, the best. So, so sometimes your senior pastor listens. Let's assume she's not going to listen to this episode. So you have <laughs> you have permission to speak freely. Okay. All right. So, uh, so yeah. So how's it going now? No, so, Caden. Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness, Caden. <laughs> De- Derek has a great relationship with his senior pastor. Yeah. Yeah, you and I had a good, good relationship, and Great so how are things going? Yes. How are things going? Like almost two years into it now for you? Yeah, things are going well. Things are going really well. I uh, I chose honesty, is what I would say, and I told Suzanne that when I came in. Uh, she said to me pretty soon after I got here, she said, "How am I going to know that you're upset with me?" Uh, and I laughed. I said, "Suzanne, I would never be upset with you." And she said, "Sure, okay, but how am I going to know when you're upset with me?" And I said, "Well." Oh, if I was upset with Jeff, I would just tell him. I said, so I'm just going to do that with you too, if that's okay. And she said, okay. And so we we have conversations that are very direct, not like mean direct, but like where we tell each other the truth and don't try to sugarcoat. And if if I do something that she doesn't like, she tells me. If she does something I don't like, I tell her. And we have developed a good relationship that way. And I was actually talking about this with my wife. And and I said, I think that my time with you, Jeff, is what enabled me to do this. Because this is all I know. All I know is a good relationship with my senior pastor. All I know is how to be honest and, and come into the office with, you know, the truth. And so I guess for me, uh, it's going really well. And I feel free to do that because you modeled it so well in our relationship and you always wanted the truth and shared the truth with me. And so that's an encouragement I would say to anybody listening. If you're like Derek and you're in your twenties or thirties, you're getting started. Uh, find someone, a mentor, a, a senior pastor, whatever it is, who you can be honest with, who you can develop that kind of relationship with. And then to a, a man or a woman, 
Uh, and because it can be a man or a woman for me, it, both my pastors, you know, one man, one woman. Uh, if you're a man or a woman, find someone who's younger to hire and then be honest with them and encourage them to be honest with you. You have to set the stage as the senior leader for honest conversations to happen. I, I, that's what I believe. I think that's on the senior leader to set the stage so that your subordinates can actually come to you with honesty. And that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, without threat of firing or right. the other way around for right. the senior pastor to be able to talk to uh, other staff members without the threat of resignation, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's exactly it, yeah. That's good. Well, I'm glad you have that kind of a relationship with um, Pastor Suzanne. and yeah, uh too. It makes me happy, and I'm glad for her. I'm glad that one of the things I told her when she called she me— She is we, richly blessed, Jeff. She's it, richly yeah. blessed. Isn't she? <laughs> Isn't she, though? And she, she, she doesn't even know how blessed she is. And I didn't, I didn't know either until I lost it. And then oh, I, yes. Your ulcer? Are you talking about you lost your ulcer, right, when I left? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, one of the things that, that I told her was, you know, I basically, t- we talked about this stuff when she called me. I said, yeah, he's going to yeah. be honest with you, and uh, he's going to be loyal. He's going to be loyal. And that's yeah. that's really important. So both of the associate pastors that I had in, in Orange City both were extremely loyal, for which yeah. I'm very thankful, because if, if you don't have that, it's it's just it's difficult. Johnny, I'm glad we had Derek on, and even though you weren't there, he did a great job. And uh, pastors that are listening today, I hope that you got, uh, you, I know you got something out of it. The question is, are you going to take action? You know, are you going to take it to heart? And that thing that, I don't know, maybe God's, maybe God spoke to you through it and saying, hey, Here's something you need to pick up. Here's something you need yeah. to do. Yep. Take action. Take action. I mean, uh, I listen to so many podcast episodes, and I know that I listen to more than I can take. It's like taking way too many vitamins. You know, they just end up <laughs> they just end up going through you because you can't possibly yep. process all that. Just going I, out, yeah. I do that a little bit with podcast episodes because you know when I'm traveling or when I'm getting ready in the morning, I, I'm listening. And the, the, my only regret is I can't take action on everything that I hear. Uh, sure. But I do try to take action on something so that yep. I've kind of got this, this toolbox filled with ideas that I've gotten over months and years. And I'm, I'm constantly feel like I'm, I'm pulling some out because it, the timing might not be right for you to take action in a certain right. area. Right. But maybe in two months the timing is right. So, yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah. If you don't have your mind and heart filled with opportunity and and suggestions and principles, then when the timing is right, you don't have. There's you open the toolbox and you can't find that tool that you need to do this job. <laughs> so keep as many tools in there as you as you can, Johnny. Yep. I'm in a parking garage because I had to visit somebody in the hospital, yeah. and we had this appointment set. So I literally brought my recorder and tethered my phone to my laptop because I also had another recording to do with somebody else just just <laughs> 10 minutes. So I got a good LTE signal here and right. you know you do what you got to do. You Where do you, you got to do. do it. That's yeah. what I love about you, Jeff. And yeah. you love our listeners and you take care of our listeners. You put this podcast out every week. Uh, you find guests like Derek and I appreciate that and I hope that all of our listeners, all of you 
enjoy Jeff and his hard work. Uh, we love you. We care about you. We care about the work uh, that you are doing for the kingdom of God. And we'll see you next week on the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Angela, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, you should subscribe to our weekly email at 200churches.com and to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You know it. We'll be back next week with another amazing and encouraging episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love His church. Okay. Without further ado, go ahead. You torment me every week with that statement. I know. (laughs) Okay. What do we want to talk about here?